John chapter 1. I want to ask you a question as we begin. Who is it that took responsibility for your spiritual development? I don't necessarily know the answer. You're like, is, there, uh, is this a trick question? Like, no, it's not. Okay. You are whatever age you are sitting in this room. You are who you are today because of other people in your life. And what I want you to do right now, before we even jump into the text, is I want you to try to identify maybe an individual who poured into you. Maybe they're pouring into you. Right? My pres- like, maybe not right now because you're like... But maybe you're in a relationship right now where someone is, in, I hope that there's some people in here, I know there's some people in here where, that someone's investing in your life, okay? But I wonder if maybe you can identify that individual, and I would love to hear a name. You're like, what if they're sitting across the room? Amen. Shout it even louder. Happy birthday. We're glad to have you today. I love hearing those names, whether they're here or not. Like, there's, there's so many people I could even identify in my own life. But even, even as I thought about it, as I thought about if I could hold one person up, I, I don't know that I could hold one person up, um, but what, what kind of opened, God opened my eyes to this morning was just the simplicity of my, of my parents, who always instilled in me the value of being a part of, of a church community, of be, being a part of Christians, surrounding myself by people who, who have seen Jesus and want to enable me to see Jesus. Okay, because can we all admit this morning that we're kind of on a journey? Would anyone be bold enough to say, I've arrived? Thank you for not making me call you out. But... um. No, we're, we're all on this journey, and there's been different people that have come on the scene at different points in our lives, and maybe it's been someone consistent. Maybe it's been numerous people. But this morning, we're going to talk about discipleship. So if you're in John chapter 1, I want to kind of set the scene for you in John chapter 1 as we talk about discipleship. So last week, we focused on who was the main character of last week. Okay, Jesus is always the main character. Yes, amen. Who is the other main character? John the Baptist. We talked about John the Baptist being this, this guy who prepared the way and really a disciple maker that we're going to see in the text today. A disciple maker, someone who opened people's eyes to behold Jesus. 
Okay, um, but we, we continue on and we're going to be in verses 35 through 42. And um, you'll notice in your bulletin, I've kind of set the scene and we're actually only going to get to scene one today. Um, but go ahead and uh, throw that map up there, Cooper. Um, so going to kind of set the scene here as far as where we're at geographically. Um, I know everyone can read these. Did you bring your binoculars today? Um, awesome. Raise your hand if you don't have any. Rick will give you a pair. Um, so uh, we're focusing in this region right here, Judea, just uh, east of Judea. Um, you'll notice some, some different arrows and boxes. All, all I really want you to know is kind of the general area here. Um, today the scene is set in, in what's believed to be Bethany, um, east of Bethany, somewhere along the Jordan. So John the Baptist has been baptizing in the Jordan River, which connects the Sea of Galilee to the Dead Sea. He's been baptizing there. And here our text has us in that region, in that area. And a little bit about Bethany. Um, it's 1.5 miles east of Jerusalem, the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, which is a pretty famous family in the Bible. Um, anytime someone raises your brother from the dead, that's a pretty famous deal, right? It is, in case you weren't sure. Um, so some significant people, apart from Jesus... Being the Son of God, um, in our story today, um, we, we, we mentioned John the Baptist, the son of Zechariah. The angel appeared to um, Zechariah and said, um, you're gonna have, your wife's going to have a son, and he's going to prepare the way for Christ. He's going to open people's eyes to see who Jesus is. Um, another key player in the story today is, is um, there's two brothers um, one of the brothers we know for sure was a disciple of John the Baptist. So John the Baptist was actually a guy who not just boldly proclaimed to masses Jesus is coming, but a guy who actually grabbed guys, put his arm around them, and poured into them. We're going to see that today. Okay, um, We know explicitly from the text that one of them was Andrew, um, and the other one is unnamed. Um, Many believe that it's John the Apostle who's writing and who's humble enough to not mention his name. He just says there's another guy and it's really himself. Okay, and so um, we're going to walk through this today. So John the Baptist has just had his world rocked. Remember, you remember? Like, go, look, look down at the text. Go back um, in verse uh, 29. What happened? Jesus was coming towards him, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So his eyes were just opened. Have you ever had that experience where you're, you begin to see things in a way? Man, I never saw it that way. I never saw Jesus that way. I hope that's kind of a somewhat of a regular occurrence in your life. His eyes are opened, and what is his, what is his response? I'm not even worthy to touch that dude's shoes. To untie his shoes. Like that, that's his response to G, in front of Jesus. That he sees Jesus in that way. But here's where it gets pretty powerful. Verse 35 is where we'll be. It says, The next day, again, John was standing with his two disciples, probably Andrew, definitely Andrew, probably John. And he looked at Jesus as he walked and he said, Behold the Lamb of God. One thing I want to, the first thing I want to point out is this. Notice it says in the next day. Um, there, there's a lot of like manipulation in Christianity today that seeks to 
Get people like stir their heart in such a way that like they'll respond to the Lord. Okay, you don't have to rush when it comes to um, salvation, when it comes to like trying to stir someone's heart and get them to respond like right now. Okay, John had beheld Jesus. And what was the response? Like the next day, he was still amazed, right? Amazed at him. So what does he do? He's standing there with his two disciples, two guys that he's invested in, he's poured in, okay? Um, And what does he do? He points them. He's like, guys, this is him. Like it's, it's called like teaching in the moment, right? So you can be off off site and you can be talking about, hey, this is who Jesus is, this is what, you know, blah, 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 blah. Um, but like in the collision of like, here's a moment where we see him fully. You're like, do you guys see this? This is him. So they're, he's opening their eyes. This is Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, as John said earlier. Why? Because John the Baptist was passionate about discipleship. One of our deepest passions here as a church is discipleship is that you and I would be deeply rooted in Christ. But what does that produce? It produces a pushing out that you would enable others to behold Jesus. That you'd reproduce yourself in others, okay, which is a painful struggle that we'll get to here as we go along. Look at verse 36. It says, And he looked at Jesus... As he walked by and he said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard, heard um, him say this and they followed him. Okay, now if you've ever been in a discipling relationship, um, there's, this, there's this like, there can be this odd tension and this odd struggle uh, to make it not about you. You, you follow me? Like as, as the teacher, as the disciple maker, as the, so here John the Baptist is making it plain and clear. These guys go after Jesus. Like, is that, a, is, that a, is that a loss? Like, I'm pouring in these guys. You're, you're, you're following me. John the Baptist is talking to Andrew and John. You're following me. Hey, guys, there's Jesus. And they're like, boom, gone. And it's like, no, that's a win, right? Why? Because that's the guy he's been pushing them to. That's the guy he's been trying to open their eyes to see. And they see him. That, if, if you want to write something down, you can write this down, that true disciple-making is leading others to behold Jesus. Okay? If you're leading others to just love the Bible, uh, memorize Scripture, behave properly, okay, all those things have their place, maybe on some level, but if we're not beholding, like getting our arms and our hands around the person of Jesus Christ, seeing him, experiencing him, and it's not discipleship. True disciple making is leading someone else to behold Jesus as the Lamb of God. Okay, so yes, on some level, the, the disciple maker is a model. Okay, did you know that as elders, I mean, Rick and Michael, we're set up under the biblical authority of God Almighty to be a model for you, 
Okay, there's no like hierarchy in like we're better than. No, an elder is a person that is a model. Like our life, our marriages, the way we discipline our kids, the way we interact with people, we're to be an example and a model to, for you to exemplify. Okay, now sometimes we're not very good at that. Okay, and sometimes we need each other. We need you to, to push us and call us into repentance. Okay, so the disciple maker is, a, is an example, is a, is a model. But in the same way that, that you and I, as disciple makers, are, are called to set our lives as an example for those that we're investing in, we realize that ultimately it's Christ that people need. It's Christ. It's not... It's, it's the Jesus in me that I'm trying to give to someone else. Because you only give what you, what you have. So how do you disciple? What's the process for you? Do you, are you, do you have people in your life? Do you have people that you've, you've sought out to take spiritual responsibility for? Not like this, like, they're my project. Like, I'm going to do this. No. But man, in the same way that maybe a mom would say, man, this is my child and it's my responsibility to see to it that they're raised up. It's the same way spiritually. I want to invest in you. I want, to, I want you to behold the Lamb of God. Look at verse 38. Jesus turned, saw them following, and he said to them, what are you seeking Anytime Jesus asks a question, it's kind of a funny moment. Do you think Jesus was like scratching his head, wandering? Jesus knew full well. But what he's doing, is Jesus does brilliantly, Jesus was so good at using questions as a means of guiding people to him. Okay, you know what? As a disciple maker, it's so hard to feel like you have to be at a certain point. You have to be ready. You just have to help people navigate and ask questions. Right? And even Jesus here is like, well, what, what are you seeking? He knew full well what he, they were seeking, but what he's doing is he's engage, allowing them to engage their own heart and what he's doing in their own heart. What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. Okay, so it's about 4 p.m., and Jesus does something pretty amazing. Okay, it, a lot of disciple-making has been about information transfer, right? Here's what you need to know. Here's the information. So take this book and memorize it like the olden days. That's what Jewish schools did. Memorize the whole Torah, the whole first five books of the Bible. Informa- just get this information in your mind, and then you figure out what that means for your life. Ready, say, go, good luck. No. Jesus says, I'm not just going to answer your question. Come on. And you, you, you probably picture that moment like, they're like, We're supposed to go with him. Jesus is like, you want, to, you want to see where I'm staying? Come on. Come on, I'll show you. Now, 
Does anybody struggle with that type of life? You know, open door policy. Come on. It would have been, picture Jesus being like, um, yeah, um, in 10 minutes, I'll meet you. I got to go home and clean up a little bit and prepare, like, because I'm not really ready, because I got to get it together. And well, it's Jesus, so he didn't do that. But like, from our standpoint, like, we kind of see it that way, right? We think of it from the standpoint of like, I have to get my life together. And sure, on some level, like, there's some somewhat necessary competencies to, to invest in someone, having a life worth emulating. But, but listen, all of us, on some levels, on many levels, just don't. And we're on a journey, and we bring people along. So Jesus is like, here's how discipleship works. Come on. Now, these weren't necessarily the most stout religious guys. And one of the things we'll look at next week when we look at Philip and Nathaniel is these are like Jewish scholars, okay? So whether it's a religious person or an irreligious person, Jesus is like, the way you do it is like, come on. Man, come be a part of my life. Come journey with me. Let's have fun together. Come, come in my home. Let's eat meals together. Watch me not know how to discipline my kids when I'm in a scuffle with like six kids. And I, I don't really know how to do this. I haven't figured this out yet. Watch me make mistakes on some level. Like, no, we don't, we don't like that, do we? Let's meet at Starbucks. We'll each get a coffee. And it'll have a little stopper in there so you can take it out when you're ready to drink. And it'll still be warm. You have your nice little Bible in your moleskin. And we'll, we'll talk and everything will be uh, grand. Jesus is like, come on, come. Hey, spend the night. <laughs> That's crazy. Be like, I got an extra bed? Come on, like, come, yeah, come be a part of, of this journey. Come and be a part of my life. And for those of you that have been most impacted in your spiritual journey, it's been because people have done that for you. They've said, you know what, I'm not a perfect person. I don't have it all together. I don't have all the answers here. But what I do know is I know Jesus and I want to walk with you and enable you to behold him as I'm trying to behold him. So you just says, come, come and see. It's so messy, so difficult. Jesus knew full well what they needed and he wanted. He wanted them to experience him. Discipleship is about bringing people along the journey with you. Bring people along the journey with you. Go to verse 40. Gosh, here's where it gets phenomenally good. If it hasn't been good already. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew. So one of John the Baptist's disciples was Andrew. Okay, imagine being the person who's responsible for discipling um, one of the twelve. He was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he first found his own brother, Simon, and he said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas. Okay, now, um, for the remainder of our time, I want to talk about one individual. Andrew. How many of you know about Andrew? 
You're like, oh, no freaking clue. It's a disciple, I think. Never could remember the name of the 12 disciples. They didn't some of them like drop out or like back out or like get voted out or... Okay, so Andrew was a disciple, but I, I want to dive deeply. Um, let me give a plug for this phenomenal book. Actually, my sister gave me this on my 21st birthday, which was quite a few years ago. Um, and uh, it's called 12 Ordinary Men by John MacArthur. And it, like, I was reading through this this week, and it was just amazing to see these ordinary people that Jesus called beside him. It weren't like these phenomenal, like, let's throw them up on the stage, let's throw them up on a pedestal. Like, these are amazing people. Now, they're amazing people because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has called him to. So, Andrew. Um, one of the hardest things about Andrew is Andrew's most commonly known as Simon Peter's brother. You know, if you... If you have siblings or maybe older siblings and um, you've ever been referred to that way, you know like it's, you're just the, you know, the, the younger sibling, right? So rarely ever was like, hey, this is Andrew. No. Hey, guys, this is his brother. Can't I be Andrew? Like, why do I got to be attached to him all the time? So you know as a disciple of John the Baptist... We know he was a part of the inner circle of Jesus. So the inner circle of Jesus was three people. Who was it? I just asked a trick question, kind of. Four people. Okay, I'll clarify. Peter, James, and John. Now, very often there was a fourth, Andrew. Okay. So the inner circle of Jesus, the one that Jesus invited with him most often, spent most time with, invested in most most uh, intimately, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew as well. So he was a part of the inner circle of Jesus. Um, we know that he ran a fishing business with his brother, Peter. So they were fishing buddies in the city of Capernaum. Um, but Andrew, for all of his life, lived under the shadow of Big Brother. Any uh, like younger siblings, or firstborn, or lastborn, secondborn, have older? I don't know what I'm saying here. <laughs> you guys finally like well, I broke the. It's like straight face this whole time, and finally like I just got to screw up, and you guys were like hilarious. So Andrew's under the shadow of his older brother the whole, basically most of his life. Okay, what do we know about Peter? Peter was brilliant at putting his own foot in his mouth. Okay, this, this dominant leader, we know he's the leader of the twelve, okay? Um, but n- not only that, um, in his flesh he was very impulsive, overeager, impetuous, brash. Typical firstborn, sorry firstborners. Okay? Infamous. For his sermon in Acts 2. Remember that? 3,000 people came to Christ. He's a pretty powerful guy. Not only that, Jesus looked Peter in the eye. And he said, you, on you, through you, 
I'm going to start my church. Okay? Imagine being the younger brother to that guy. Could you really ever have a voice? Could you really ever have a place? Could you really ever feel like your life mattered? It could have been very easy for Andrew to just sit on the side, sit in the closet, like mope at home. Man, I'm that guy's brother. I know he's cool. Quit talking about it. I know he's like, God's doing awesome things for him. Quit talking. But he didn't. He absolutely didn't. Look at verse 40 again. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah. And he brought him to Jesus. So picture this. Here's the moment for Andrew. Okay? Under the shadow of big brother who probably took the bulk of running the fishing company and like here in this moment they've been taught about the Messiah they've, they've heard prophecies about the Messiah and Andrew sees Jesus this, this one who's been promised for all this time he sees Jesus and in this moment Andrew's like this is it finally my chance to be famous To be known. No. What did he do? He goes to Peter. And he leads him to Christ. And look at the words. He says, We have found the Messiah. We Okay, so for all of his life, he's journeyed with his brother. And he's like, we've talked about this guy. Like we've read and memorized prophecies about this guy. Peter, I found him. Don't you ever forget? No, he didn't do that. He's like, we, we found him. Like this is unbelievably significant. Because it's so easy for you and I to battle these thoughts about wanting to be seen as better, wanting to be seen as greater. Maybe some of you sitting under the, the shadow of someone who you just can't quite meet up to. And Andrew here, probably one of the most significant salvations in the history of Christianity. He leads Peter to Christ, his brother. One of the most prominent figures in the New Testament saying, we found him. We found the Messiah. I wonder maybe today if you're wrestling through the struggle of trying to change things you cannot change. It's like, I, I want to be obedient, and I want to be faithful to Jesus. But i got to change this. How easy it would have been for Andrew to let Peter paralyze him. And maybe you're, you're sitting here today, and, and you have a, an, an older sibling, 
or friend. And God's like, you're the person I want to use to lead them to me. You're the person. You can't change your upbringing. You can't change your personality. You can't change how God's made you. So you and I need to right here in this moment give that to the Lord and say, you know what? I'm going to stop trying to change what I cannot change. And I'm going to embrace who God is and what he's done in my life as painful or as joyful as it's been. And I'm just going to be faithful because that's what Andrew was known for. He didn't put himself in the spotlight. Andrew was never, never known as a person who brought crowds to Jesus. His brother led 3,000 people to Jesus. He, He spoke to the masses. But Andrew was so good at bringing the individual to Christ. So good at bringing the individual person to Christ. You know what? Are you familiar with the story of the feeding of the 5,000? Okay, so there's 5,000 people on a hillside, right? No. Probably more like 10 or 20,000 because there's 5,000 men and they had a wives and they had a mess load of children. Because anytime you have people, there's always a mess load of children, right? And so, um, so here in this moment, Jesus is like, we need to feed them. feed them. So disciples start freaking out. Like, how, we can't feed them. Like, they start punching the numbers, like figuring out, like, we can't feed them. Philip, the administrator, the accountant, not the accountant, but the administrator. Andrew, John chapter 6, finds this little boy brings him to Jesus. I mean, all the other disciples are like, two fish? Five loaves of bread? Like, really? Really? Seriously? You see all these people? Andrew, hey, come here. I want to introduce you to somebody. Jesus, God can help us. I want, you to, I want you to meet my friend Jesus. Listen, Andrew wasn't an on-the-stage performer, an in-the-spotlight guy. He was faithful. He saw the little things. He saw the individual person who was neglected, who was ignored, who maybe was just sitting in their own self-glory, and he befriended them. There's even an instance in the scripture where Philip meets someone and doesn't, doesn't even know how to bring them to Jesus. So he takes them to Andrew. He's like, Andrew, this is my buddy. You're really good at this whole Jesus thing. Let's, let's, can you take us, help us lead this person to Christ? Listen, Andrew wasn't this phenomenal guy. But he was faithful. I wonder if today, if God's calling some of you just to put your nose down and be faithful. You're like, I'm not, I'm not good enough. I don't have it all together. Listen, it doesn't matter. You need to let, the, let that go. You need to lay that down. You need to give that to Christ. Because here's the amazing reality. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it says, But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. 
Like I'm not smart enough. You're perfect. He chose what was weak in the world to shame the strong. Like I'm not strong enough. No, you don't need to hit the gym more. You need to admit your weakness. You're just not very good at this. You're a perfect candidate. If you sit there and you're like, I'm just not very good at this Christianity thing. Perfect candidate. If you'll admit it. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. So Andrew was never like, look at me. The one who helped start the church. I did it. No. He was just faithful with the little, faithful with the small. Everything was important. John the Baptist discipled Andrew. Andrew led Peter to Jesus. And Jesus, I'm sorry, Andrew led Peter to Jesus. And Peter started the church through the work of the Holy Spirit. I wonder if there's somebody today that you will be the one who will Raise up and impact someone who will do monumental things for Christ. But you know what? Your decision to do that is monumental. Your decision to be faithful. Faithful. Not perfect. Faithful. Listen, investing your life in someone is incredibly painful. Inviting people into your home is one of the most painful things <laughs> you will ever do. Um, that sounded really funny. Inviting people into your life is incredibly painful. Why? Because we're broken people. We don't have it all together. But listen, you will never have it all together. That's why Jesus came and died on the cross. Not so that you could clean yourself up, so you could come to him, but so that he would be enough. And every single one of us who've made that confession... Our ambition, appointed by the Son of God, is that we would then call people into our lives. And listen, it won't go perfect. It will not go perfect. There'll be things, you'll, you'll try to be so faithful. And it'll just go bad. I've told the story before. One of the kids that I discipled and invested in for a while took his own life. What do you do with that? Like I can sit here and be like, I failed miserably, and everybody else. I can say, God, I don't understand. But I'm just going to be faithful. Imagine the consequences of Andrew not leading his brother to Christ. Imagine the consequences of Andrew holding on to his pride and being unwilling to humble his heart and say, you know what? We found him. Come on. This is Jesus. 
The process of disciple making is incredibly sanctifying. Incredibly sanctifying. It's one of the means by which we know Jesus more fully. And so one of the questions I want to ask you, and I want you to process through as we respond to the Lord, is this. Who is it for you? Who's invested or investing in you? But but furthermore, who are you investing in? And I want you to pray for a name of an individual and there's a lot of people in this room, like, I know that name's in your head right now. And there's a lot of people in this room, I know those relationships are presently in place. Listen, that's our, that's our goal. That's what we pursue. But do you know what Christian history says about Andrew? That he was crucified on an X-shaped cross. But he wasn't nailed to the cross. They believe he was tied to the cross to up his pain and make it a whole lot worse. And that for two days, he hung there, pleading with every single individual that passed by to behold Jesus as the Lamb of God. You in? (laughs) It will cost you everything. And it will be hard. And it will be great. And God will raise up people that will advance his kingdom. If you will humble, if I will humble myself and submit to the spirits leading in my life and say, God, I just want to be faithful to you. I don't want to try to figure it out and navigate and have this grand plan as to how I can. No, I just want to be faithful right here, right now, to do what I know you're calling me to do. It's like, God, I don't know what you want me to do. I heard somebody once say, did you do the last thing he said to do? We long to be a church that's passionate about making disciples that make disciples. And the brilliant thing is that you're a part of that. You are a part of that, and Christ is inviting you into that to lead people to behold the Lamb of God. Uh, Let's pray, and then let's uh, respond to the Lord. Jesus, we love you, and we thank you for enduring the cross. We thank you for setting a model for us of what it means to be a people that pour out their lives for you. Not to get you, but, to, but because you've already gotten us. And God, would you, in this moment, enable us and lead us to behold you in such a way that we have got to, to lead others to do the same. And Jesus, where there's some in the room that haven't beheld you. Would you, by the power of your spirit, open their blind eyes this morning? Thank you for the cross. In Christ's name, amen.